Well, hey guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. And today I have a fun episode with a guy I met this year at the Western Hunting Expo. He's got a huge personality, a big heart, really good guy. His name is Maddie Nelson. And Maddie works for Seekins Precision out in Idaho. And, uh, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you may have heard me talking about Seekins. It's this beautiful rifle I got here behind me. Um, like I said, they're based out of Idaho. Almost, I think they outsource some of their triggers, but everything else is like completely made in-house, uh, held to the highest standards of quality, uh, have a great reputation, and they've really just kind of blown up lately. Um, my experience with them has been amazing so far, as far as their customer service as well as the rifle itself, and like they have this warranty where like literally if you break the thing yourself by doing something dumb, they will still replace your parts and pieces in your whole rifle if you need it. So um, they've really just set themselves apart in the industry as a leader in quality and, again, that warranty and customer service. Um, so, you know, I tried pretty much every rifle I get my hands on when I was at the expo, and I just kept coming back to that Seekins booth, and, and Maddie was a really cool guy to talk to and just uh, – they had a great reputation, so I did end up going with Seekins Precision. So, um, you know, they're a great rifle to look into if you're in the market for a new rifle. But in this in this episode, you know, I sit down with Maddie, who's like their director of marketing, but he's also just a really interesting guy. He's extremely knowledgeable about shooting and rifles. He's a, a special warfare, I mean, sorry, a special forces veteran uh, from the army. Um, tons of experience there. He does some training with Hat Creek training uh, in long range uh, rifle stuff. Um, you know, just a very interesting guy. Um, also, he, you know, he is a, guy, a spiritual guy, um, a man of faith. So, you know, we have a great conversation about life, about faith, about shooting, about Seekins. Just, we hit a lot of really cool topics. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. And he's just a very entertaining guy to talk to. So, um, you know, I got a verse for this one um, for Maddie because, you know, one of the things it says on his Instagram bio, which I kind of asked him about, was he says, stand for something. So, you know, immediately the verse came to my mind was Ephesians 6.13, you know, where Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. So, and then the next verse actually starts with stand therefore. So he's, he repeats that three times there, stand. And we talk about, you know, um, defining what your, um, what your life, you know, your morals are and, um, what you stand for in life. And then, uh, being unapologetic and brave about standing for those. And, you know, right now is a perfect time where, you know, we need to stand up for what's right, stand up for our rights, um, but also realize that that doesn't mean we can't have dialogue with people from different cultures, different faiths, different beliefs. Um, we need to be able to show the world that we can have our beliefs and not water them down and, and stand firm in them, uh, but still, you know, love our enemies and that kind of thing. So anyway, we have a great conversation. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. If you are in the market for a rifle, I would highly recommend checking out Seekins Precision. You'll definitely be seeing this rifle in probably most of my hunts uh, this year, um, just kind of getting used to it, and uh, I picked it up for an elk tag I have. So um, enjoy this episode, guys, and um, you know, 
just uh, if you if you want to save on some good gear, if you're stocking up for the year, again, I'll just remind you to use the discount codes that are in my description fields. Um, you know, if you need some gear from the Go Hunt Gear Shop, use that code Quest. Um, you know, sorry to keep hammering that stuff, guys, but it does help support the show. So, you know, I got to do what I can to pay the bills around here. Um, you know, also, it's, you know, I, I have a lot of people who've watched some of my YouTube content or maybe watching some of my YouTube content haven't subscribed yet. Um please just click that subscribe button. You know, same goes to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, you know, leave me a rating, leave me a review, anything you can do to, to help me out. If you're enjoying the content, you know, I work hard to put out good content, um, to try to be a unique voice in the space and kind of talk to my guests about some unique topics. You may not have heard them speak about before. Um, you know, I work hard to maintain a level of excellence, you know, and I'm trying to always do better with that. So if you're enjoying it, you know, if you're enjoying the message uh, it's super helpful if you can subscribe if you can like if you can you know get the word out word of mouth is huge share with friends and family send them episodes that you liked send your buddy a YouTube video share the film subscribe to the YouTube channel um, that's all really helpful so I will get off my soapbox now uh, I appreciate your support especially if you've been out there supporting from the beginning tons and tons and tons of cool stuff in the works. God is good. Uh, it's going to be an amazing year uh, for the Hunter's Quest. I got some cool stuff I'm working on in terms of content and then um, just stuff I can't really get into in detail right now, but just keep your eyes out because it's going to be a big couple of years moving forward and I appreciate your support. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Maddie Nelson from Seekins Precision. See you on the next one. All right, so I'm here with Maddie Nelson from Seekins Precision. How you doing, brother? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, dude. Um, it's good to connect again. We uh, we met at the expo last year, and you, <laughs> you probably remember like I came and looked at y'all stuff, and like I just kept coming back, and you, you're just like every time I'd walk by, I'd be like, "Hey." <laughs> yep. Yeah, you were a, you were a frequent flyer. We yeah. <laughs> I was like going around literally because I was in the market. I knew I was in the market for a new rifle because I had an elk tag in my pocket and me personally, I don't, my, my backcountry setup is a 6.5 Creedmoor. Mm -hmm. I personally don't want to hunt elk with a 6.5 Creedmoor. We don't have to get into that or maybe we could later, but, makes um, sense. so I, holistically and distance wise, it makes sense. I get it. Yeah. So I knew I was in the market for a new rifle. So I was just like testing, you know, everything out, um, that was there, um, and I'd heard good things about Seekins from a friend, uh, Brad Hunt, and um, it's just like I don't know the the way the action felt, the big palm swell or whatever. Like mm -hmm. I just kept it just I just couldn't get you guys out of my mind. I just kept coming back. It's it's tough to beat. It really is. Like it's that's that's one of the things I love about doing those shows is is you're not the only one that is that is there to sample you know, the wares of, of every company that's there. And there's quite a few rifle companies at the Western Hunt Expo, yeah. custom builders and production guns and all kinds of stuff. So I tell guys all the time, like, hey, man, cruise around the floor, test everything, go hold yeah. everything, right? If it feels good to you, then run it. But, like, it's it's going to be tough to beat the feel, the fit, form, and function, and and the warranty of a Seekins rifle. And that's, that's yeah. guys always come back. And we end up just, you know, being able to take really good care of them in the immediate purchase as well as the long term for the life of that rifle. Makes makes real good. Yeah. And just because you mentioned it 
I gotta put this on here because I turned it off. But um, just because you mentioned it, tell me about that warranty really quick because that is something that's pretty unique about you guys. It is. It kind of sets us apart in the gun industry, right? Like a lot of places are, are you know, sales final, yada yada yada. So we will do. We have what's called our uh, lifetime warranty, which is if anything happens to the gun, doesn't matter what it is. It could be user induced. Uh, you could, you know, like I've had guys back over one in a pickup truck. I had a dude send one down the mountain on his four wheeler without him on it. I've had, you know, like, I mean, you name it, it's happened. Like we've had a couple get burnt up in a cabin fire or a house fire. Um, and, and we will repair or replace any sequence part, complete gun scope ring. Doesn't matter. We'll repair or replace any sequence part for life. That's awesome. Which is a good one. And then the other one we have is a shooter satisfaction guarantee, which covers, looks to accuracy. Everybody wants to know like, Hey, what's the MOA accuracy guarantee on your gun? Generally speaking, uh, with just factory ammo on all the calibers and everything we shoot, I do a lot of the accuracy testing here at Seekers Precision. Gas gun, bolt gun, doesn't matter. You're looking at 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 out of the box as the, as, as the average. Bolt guns, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 right in there um, with, just, with just factory ammo. Um, but I get a lot of trigger time. I get to do a lot of shooting, right? Um, so that helps. But it's too easy for a company to say, hey, this is a 0. 0.5 gun or sub 0. 0.5 gun. Slap yeah. that sticker on the box. Then the customer can't get it. They call and they say, well, your ammo sucks or you got bad glass or you're bad. <laughs> Click. And that's yeah. all I get, right? There's, that's, that's the end of that conversation. Um, so a lot of my day every day and Lucas Mattoon and Mike Stilson who work in our quality control shop here, a lot of our day every day is talking to guys to be able to ensure that they're doing everything that they can do on their end to get the accuracy that they require out of our gun, which is, which is what our accuracy guarantee is. It will shoot what the end user requires guaranteed. Mm. And generally 99% of the time I can, I can make that happen once or twice a year. I'll have to buy one back from a guy. Uh, and it's, it's generally not generally it's never the gun. Those guns immediately go into our marketing program and we shoot the dog crap out of them everywhere. They're super yeah. accurate. It's just, Something about it. We can't make that guy satisfied with the Seekins purchase. And so I'll go ahead and buy that gun back. But 99.9% of the time, I can get those guys talked into, hey, if you want to shoot better groups at 100 yards on paper, maybe not off the hood of your truck while it's running and 12 dogs in the bed. It's just the method. Right? <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. I'll pay to have the gun sent back here. I'll shoot it here at Seekins Precision. I'll FaceTime the guys or I'll, I'll video conference them from the range. Like, here's your rifle. Here's your serial number. Here's the groups I just shot. So I'm not saying that it's you but I'm hundred percent going to say it's not the gun. So what are yeah. the other variables in there? What's your ammo? What's your glass? What are your scope rings? We'll pull the specs up. We'll be sure you're torquing them down correctly. We'll do all of that stuff, walking through every step that we can mm -hmm. to ensure that they have the knowledge to be successful and be satisfied with their sequence purchase. Nice, man. Yeah. I mean, um, I've definitely been impressed with y'all's customer service. I mean, anytime I had a question, you know, I emailed a pretty, I got a pretty quick, you know, email response or even calling like, you know, I think I called and I had a question about the gun or um, I think, you know, I wanted to just double check my torque specs and stuff on the mm -hmm. rings and stuff. And, um, yeah, everybody was super helpful. And also, like, I wanted my stock in Mountain Shadow instead of whatever the other camo pattern is. I can't remember. And they were yep. like, yeah, sure. No worries. We got you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool, it's, man. It's, it's What's fun about working here? So I run the in-house customer service team and in-house sales team. So if you're calling up here, you're talking to my guys up front. Um, and that's a lot of companies will say like, Hey, we just like the customer's always right. We want to make sure that they're happy and blah, blah, blah. But they don't really stand behind that. Like I tell my guys all the time, like that is your only job is to make the customers happy. 
You yeah. do whatever you need to do to be sure that they are happy with their Seekins purchase. Mm-hmm. And they do, they, they really do that. Like they have free reign to make sure that that happens, which has been really, really good for the end users. Our customers get to call and have good experiences and get treated right. And uh, that turns around and brings them back for the next rifle they want to buy. Yeah. That's cool, man. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've been super pleased with the, the rifle so far. I mean, you know, to be honest, it's probably a little more high speed than I am. Um, <laughs> it's my first, like, really, I mean, I have a Weatherby that's, like, really nice, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, it's, like, the next level up. I'm not saying it's, like, I'm just saying, like, yeah, it's it's high speed. It's a good, it's a really awesome rifle. Um, it's probably way more capable than I am. Um, but i um, been really impressed with it so far. And so you guys are... Um, you guys are based in Idaho, correct? And you make pretty much everything in-house. We do, yeah. So we're in Lewiston, Idaho, um, which is is right on the border with, like, Washington, Oregon. It's right where Idaho gets skinny on the map before okay. it makes it on to Canada, right? Um, so uh, really steep terrain, really pretty crazy stuff. We're right at the mouth of Hell's Canyon. So a lot of the design for the hunting rifles, both the Element and the PH2 that we have, came from, you know, us walking around in the woods, um, with with guns that we didn't want to walk around in the woods with so <laughs> yeah. that's where the, the like it was a, a uh eli our lead programmer lucas matuna our quality control director and glenn seekins were sitting around on the weekend and in, in, in 2017 and like man we don't have have a good hunting rifle between the three of us we got a brazilian dollar machine shop out there let's just make one yeah and so they did and it became the flagship of the company because it's fits so many people's needs based off of terrain that they happen to find themselves in mm-hmm. where it's just you know, it's, it's light, it's compact, it's easy to carry around. And that fits, that fits the bill for a lot of guys on top of it. You know, it's got a bulletproof warranty and they just flat out shoot. They just shoot really, really well. So. Yeah. Um, so I do maybe want to get back into Seekins and stuff like that, um, later, but I just want to back up a little bit. Cause I'm actually really interested just in you personally. Uh, <laughs> you seem like a really cool guy. Um, so tell me a little about yourself, man. Like tell me about your background, uh, where you grew up and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I grew up in uh, Utah, uh, okay. like middle Utah, of Utah, a little bit South Salt Lake really like, I mean, grew up before it became the, the suburban metropolis disaster yeah. it is now. I grew up like orchards were in my, were my backyard and you can yeah. get on a mountain bike and ride, you know, 15 minutes through town and you were up Provo Canyon on your way to park city on a bunch of single track trails up there. None of that exists anymore. But so I grew up, you know, kind of running around, um, in that, in that, you know, worry-free environment where like, you know, in the summertime, my parents would be like, see you tonight. Yeah. I'd be gone doing whatever I was doing. I played sports, uh, all growing up through high school. Um, got a really good work ethic from there. Um, what sports did you play? I played baseball and basketball, like pretty competitively. I was on a traveling baseball team from the time I was pretty young all the way to high school and then played through high school and, uh, had a really good time doing that stuff. I did a when I graduated high school, I did a, a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in okay. Brazil and, uh, you know, learned Portuguese. I was in the city of Sao Paulo running around in, in a completely unfamiliar environment because it was just – Question a- there. Yeah. Is that missions, are those um, strongly encouraged, required? Strongly encouraged is a really good term. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. to, to, to say that they are um, expected – by uh the the general population is, is probably a, a pretty fair statement um some people go some people don't go uh yeah. but it's i mean it's just 
it was fun to go and and it's an opportunity in a relatively guarded environment for a young man to get out and do things on his own right yeah. like i gotta figure out laundry i gotta manage money because i gotta you know you only get so much per month you gotta have here's all my bus fares here's my rent here's the food that we gotta buy yeah um but all in, in a relatively um I don't want to say safe environment because you're just cruising around whatever country you happen to be in, but in a, in a, in a protected garden environment with, with good bumper rails, right? You can't, yeah. you can't really screw up too bad without having somebody come down and be like, Hey, we need to learn this a little bit better. We need to manage this a little bit better. Let's get this. So I, I came back from that. Um, and it, like Brazil was like every day was an adventure town, big yeah, city. You're there for two years, walking around in the streets every day. Um, now is your is uh is your faith still an uh, important part of your daily life? Yeah, it is. It's it's a it's a big part of of who I am, and it helped really guide me through the decisions that came right after that. Um, I, I ended up joining the the military. I got a little bit tired of college and uh, went into the military on a pretty short contract that doesn't even exist anymore. But halfway <laughs> through basic training, I had a, a drill instructor pull me aside and say, "Hey, you're a little bit older than, than most of the kids that are here." Uh, you're a little bit more mature and you're in crazy shape. Um, you should go try out uh, for special forces. And I was like, what's that? You know, <laughs> so did some reading, um, um, did some praying and and made the decision to, to change my contract to an x-ray contract, which is from basic training straight to airborne school, straight to special, special forces selection. And if you make it, then you're in the Q course for the next year and a half doing your thing. So is that um, army. Yeah. So I, was in, I, I joined the army. And then I originally just joined like as an 11 Charlie infantryman, which is, it's, which is, you know, what you go to basic training for. And halfway through basic, I got pulled aside and, and changed my contract and really never looked back. Went to airborne yes. school, went to selection and, and just really kind of came into, Hey, this is what I was made for. I'm really good at this. For sure. Um, so you love, were just, you were just in shape from your sports background and just fitness yeah, was a I big just, part I, of your I life took, or. Yeah. I took staying in shape. I always wanted to be, uh, I didn't want to be like the big, I tried for a long time to get muscly. And I just can't. I'm a big, tall, skinny dude. And so uh, I figured, well, if I can't put on all this huge muscle and, and, and look like, you know, some big bodybuilder, then I might as well be wiry and fast. So yeah. I, got, I got really, really good at running, uh, really, really good at high rep body weight stuff, which happens to line up really well with, yeah. you know, phys being physically fit for the military. So um, I could, you know, put a rucksack on my back, and go sun up to sundown at a blistering pace day in day out which which set me apart physically and then they do a bunch of mental tests and screening and a bunch sure. of other stuff and 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 i was lucky enough to get through all of that and get get selected and i went as uh i chose to be a weapon sergeant which is an 18 bravo um and i got to play with anything that went bang then you get trained up in um all of the tactics and procedures for your little 12 man team that you're going to get assigned to foot movements mm -hmm vehicle, all that stuff. So you're responsible for, for quite a bit as, as that 18 Bravo and making sure that your guys are trained properly. They're properly equipped with the weapons they're going to need for that particular mission. How are we getting there? All that stuff. So I got to do that for 10 years and it was an absolute blast. Um, nice. I, 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 uh, I don't regret, regret one second of it. I got, uh, I was going on 300 days out of every year for the whole time I was in, wow. uh, yeah, between, actual deployments and then training uh both in foreign countries and stateside i was gone quite a bit so i got a lot of time in afghanistan i got like almost three years over there total time wow i got a year and a half in south america i got all kind of like in 10 years because the wife was awesome and she never she never made me pick between home life and work life she said you run it out and when it's time to get out i'll let you know so we did 10 years that's and awesome 10 to have years, that support 
Oh, is, do you have kids? Like, I do. I have three little girls. So, okay. um, yeah, I ended up getting out in 2016 and, uh, that it was, it was just a good time. I did, I'd done 10 years. My next reenlistment was going to put me at in-depth, which means you have to stay in until you get to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like I had done more in 10 years than most guys got to do in 20, just because yeah. she was such a huge, you know, support system and backbone of her own. Um, and just, you know, kept everything running smoothly stateside, which is, I mean, it's tough. That's a tougher job than being, being a soldier any day, right? Like she's waiting for that knock at the door or that phone call every day, day in, day out, 300 days out of the year, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's tough on my wife, just the amount of traveling I'm doing for hunts and nobody's Mm -hmm. shooting back at me. So (laughs) yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a stressful time for both of us, but um, at 10 years, she was ready to, 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 you know, have a husband be around the house and have, for sure. have a father for the kids. Um, and it was, it was, it was good. I was looking at moving from where I was at being, you know, the, the apex of, of what a green beret gets to be, um, you know, kicking doors down, training uh, indigenous forces, being a force multiplier, being responsible for, Hey, here's 300 guys. You got to teach them how to tie their boots all the way to multi-breach live fire exercise mm-hmm. and actual combat. Um, like super, super fun, but had been able to do it enough that it was time to, it was time to exit yeah. where I got stuck in after 10 years, maybe two, three more years, team time like that. And then I was going to be stuck in staff positions and not, not being able to do that anymore. Yeah. And then I'd have to go, you know, another seven years before retirement of just doing stuff like that, which didn't yeah. sound super appealing. So I got out at a really good time. Did you ever, um, run across or cross paths with, uh, my buddy Tier Simak? I know the name. Um, uh, so like we crossed. He's a black rifle now. He's an X-Green Beret. Yeah. So like I know Evan um, from both when we were in and then crossing paths when we were out. And it's it's such a small community. It's hard to not hear of, of certain guys, particularly ones that have gotten out and done well um, yeah. on the civilian side. So we've crossed paths somewhere. I just, I'm, I'm still playing with a full deck of cards. They've just been shuffled pretty good. <laughs> I got blown up a couple times and, and some different stuff. So oh, wow. it's it's good. So I'm I'm still there, but it's it's all uh, sometimes I, I get names and faces. Yeah, no worries, man. Uh, well, dude, thanks for your service, man. That's that's awesome. And, it was a, um, it was an absolute pleasure. It really was. Yeah. Um. So were you a hunter before you got in? I was not actually. So okay. My uh, my dad grew up where hunting was um, a big part of actually getting dinner on the table. And he wanted to grow up without that stress because that was he was the oldest kid in his family. And that put a lot of stress on him. Be like, hey, we're not eating tonight because, you know, old Steve didn't bring home something to put on the table. <laughs> so uh, he he his whole goal was like, hey, I don't want to ever like I have the ability to, but I don't ever want to put that same level of stress on myself or my kids ever. Yeah. Again. So I didn't really grow up hunting. Uh, my dad doesn't enjoy it. He's, he's absolutely capable. Just, you know, got out of it for for, for good reason. And yeah. And, I didn't get into it very much. I really didn't even get into it um, until I got, I moved to Idaho. I got out of the military in 2016. I contracted for the air force doing a bunch of really fun stuff for them for about a year mm-hmm. doing uh, it was all their pilots, all their soft pilots going to the, the six SOS or a couple of different places. Yeah. Um, so I trained them how to drive, how to shoot, how to do land nav, how to do some really fun stuff. And then we were just looking for a way to get back out West. I grew up in Utah. My wife grew up in Utah. Uh, we wanted to get back to the mountains. Florida was awesome, but it was it it just wasn't Ooh, home. Right, flat like, of stand. Yeah, we made it home, but it just <laughs> it, it wasn't home. Right, so 
yeah, we lived in Crestview in the Panhandle, which is like the highest point in Florida at 211 feet, right? Like, yeah. So, <laughs> so it was good to move to be back out in the mountains and the job yeah. is uh, right time, right place. Super lucky enough to, to be able to interview with, with Mr. Glenn Seekins and, and fill a gap that they needed and be, you know, able to, to continue to be a force multiplier now for Seekins Precision. It's awesome. Yeah, for sure, man. So, um, so you got into hunting and moved out to Idaho. Now I'm you know, not, I'm not comparing hunting with military service, but do you find that, um, it kind of, I don't know, how do you say it? Like scratches some of the itches of like doing some of your old stuff or like <laughs> getting that. So like hunting for, for, for me now is very much, uh, just a way to, to disconnect and get back to like how man was originally designed for sure. Right. Like you're going to go out and you're going to be a provider for, for your family. Um, so being able to, to, to you know, disconnect, turn the phones off, get out of cell service, get up in the mountains you know, be on a horse or be on foot and, and move around, um, being quiet, doing the things that, that, you know, tactically makes sense if you're deployed somewhere. Um, that does help scratch some of the itch. Funny enough, um, like pulling the, I was talking about this with a, with a, with a friend of mine uh, on a different, on a different podcast, Johnny mm-hmm. Mac. And we were, we were talking about. You say Johnny Mac? Yeah, Johnny Mac. Oh, I know Johnny. That's cool. Yeah, good dude. So we were talking with, I was talking with him a couple of days ago about, um, differences between like pulling the trigger deployed and pulling the trigger on an animal um, and deployed I tried to be specialized enough that like if I showed up in your neighborhood like there was a reason I wasn't there by accident like you were a bad dude you'd cross the line somewhere mm-hmm. in, a, in an, an egregious, egregious enough manner that I was there to, to bring you back to somebody or, or put you in the dirt um, when I go and shoot an animal there's there's such a a, a, a different respect for that animal hmm. right like that's an animal that, that has existed on its own it didn't it didn't it's not an enemy violate some statute of the united states that dictated like you gotta go right yeah. so um it's it's a way more um like a, spiritual might be a bit of a strong word for it but it's like i have a lot more pause pulling the trigger on that animal uh, than i ever did in service like after in the service afterwards yeah like that was that in the moment, it was never. It was never that. Like, that's what you're trained to do. That's what you're there to do. And that that was the mission that needed to get done. Afterwards, um, you know, like laying on your rack or whatever, post op. You know, there's somebody. There's somebody that's just as loved as I am. That's never mm-hmm. going back home, right? That's a dad. That's a son. That's a brother. That's that's you know made enough bad decisions and put enough people at risk that he had to go. And yeah. that that would weigh on me. Deployed stateside, it's 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 that's not like that at all. When I go to shoot an animal there's such a deep respect for God's creation, right? Like that amazing creature mm-hmm. that is there um, that was designed to feed and, and, and provide, you know, for us, right? That's what it's yeah. that's the purpose. That's what it's there for. Um, and I feel, I feel almost bad for people that don't get that same connection and that respect and almost, almost is enough to keep you from squeezing that trigger. If it wasn't for the fact that, Hey, that's a blanket that's going on my daughter's bed. That's meat that's going in the freezer that we're going to eat for the next year. Like that's a, yeah. an elk is a big animal. You get a lot of meat off of that. Um, so people that don't get that, that same spiritual connection from hunting, I, I, I feel I, I, I pity them because it's a very unique, very, you know, very spiritual experience because you're doing what man was intended to do from the beginning, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, 
since you brought that up, I've kind of always been interested. It's kind of a you know sensitive subject, so I don't always ask people about it. Um, but you know, well, first of all, let me ask with a preliminary question: Do you experience any type? Well, I'm not even going to say target panic, but when you're hunting, you get the adrenaline rush, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. And you, people can call that target panic or buck fever, or you can just say it's a spike of adrenaline and your heart's just jacked. Yep. Um, is that, is there a similar reaction physiologically on deployment stuff? Yeah. Yeah, there is. You're at such a high operating tempo over there that you're, you're particularly when you're, you're in some of these more elite units where you're kind of out on the devil's doorstep all the time. Um, you're, you're constantly in that fight or flight mode. You're, you're always peaked. You're always in the red. Um, and that adrenaline becomes something that is but like when that target pops yes, out, it is it like, in, there it is. You get that immediate spike. Um, and so what kind of stuff do you, do you have to, or like, how do they, so this is something that translates well into the hunting world. Like, how do you deal with that? Or how did they train you to deal with that? So the biggest one is, is, is when you get that immediate here it is like you kind of get tunnel vision everything kind of closes in and and the best way i've found to describe it to people stateside is like hey you're driving in traffic and that guy slams on his brakes right in front of you right and immediately all you see is those taillights you lock right up and you go straight to the brake and like you're just you have that same immediate adrenaline dump of fight or flight like oh man what are we gonna do but if you take in that instant realize that that's where you're at and then open up your vision just just realize that that's what's happening and then counteract that tunnel vision. Hey, there's grass right here to the left. There's an open lane here to the right. There's so many other maneuvers that I can make besides just slamming on my brakes and hoping that I don't hit this guy in front of me. It's the same uh, for, for like, same like buck fever or whatever. You get that immediate, yeah. oh, there it is. And everything closes in. If you just take, it's only a quarter second to realize that's where <laughs> you're at and then be like, okay, right? And then vision opens back up. Yeah. And you just, you just did it like you're breathing. Like, do you yeah. have a breath sequence you run through or something like that? Uh, like, if, it's, if it's a target that is, that is, uh, you know, stationary or moving slowly through the objective, or if it's an animal, that's just kind of creeping through the trees, then yeah, I'll breathe in, breathe out, have the trigger prepped. I'm going to fire that rifle at the bottom of my breath cycle when I'm, I'm all the way exhaled. Most points of contact that I'm going to be able to create with that shooting position, be it in the prone, be it from a tripod, from cover, whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll shoot. I'll prep everything and be ready. Breathe in, deep breath in, let that heart rate settle, deep breath out, then squeeze the trigger if the time provides. If it's a whoop, there it is, <laughs> got to make that shot. Then in that initial whoop, there it is. I take the time that it takes me to go from wherever my rifle is to that good sight picture. That's the time in which I can realize, okay, I need to open up my vision. I realize that I'm in that fight or flight mode, but let's get all of my senses back aware and just not let that adrenaline run the show. Let's yeah. see what's out there. Holy smokes, there's this there's this bull right in front of me, and I missed the guy that was twice the size of him, two steps behind him because I can only see the first guy because I got such tunnel vision. Yeah. Right. So in that in that initial, as soon as you realize you're there, like take that take that time that it takes just to bring the rifle up. That's all you need. To realize, okay, my vision is open, my hearing is turned back on, my like I'm I'm ready, right? Yeah. That's use that adrenaline to your advantage versus letting it be a handicap that only focuses on your vision, only focuses on tunnel, and everything gets narrowed down. Use that adrenaline to open back up your senses and let them be highly alert 
so that you're that much better. Is there a way you can train for that? Uh, it's the biggest one is is knowing that that's what's going to happen, and then and then yeah, like mentally prepping yourself. Hey, this is what's going to happen when I see that button. Or this is what's going to happen when I see those car lights in front of me. Or this is what's going to, right? As soon as I get that fight or flight adrenaline dump or that buck fever adrenaline dump, realize that that's what it is and then allow it to bleed into your other senses. There's no way to really train for it other yeah. than see it. The most yeah. common one is driving. That's when like, everybody drives every day. They're always around there. And they don't realize they're doing it. But as soon as they hear this, they're going to be in the car 20 minutes later and be like, oh, and oh hey, that was it. <laughs> I didn't do it then, but that was it. Right. Then the next time it happens, they realize, oh, this is it again. And now they start to open up that vision and that they use that adrenaline to their advantage versus letting it be a handicap. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could think of is just like do 12 burpees real quick and then try to shoot or something, but it's still not the same. Yeah, it's not. Right. So like, do they do stuff like that in the military? Yeah, they do. So we'll do a lot of stuff where you're, you know, you're running obstacle courses and then you're shooting in the obstacle course and doing different stuff. Your heart rate is up. um, You know, your adrenaline is up. You're breathing super heavy. You got sweat in your eyes. You're, you know, mm-hmm. you're banging stuff around. Um, so that is a good attempt at what real combat's like, but it's not, you know. Sure. When you actually get it, it's it's you recognize like that's training. This is what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Right. So for sure, man. Um, one more name I gotta throw at you because I feel like you probably know him. He lives in Idaho. He's ex special forces and he's in the shooting instruction world. Do you know my buddy Bill Rapier? Yeah, I know Bill. So I, we used to train some of the same guys in Florida. So he has a, a kind of a core group of dudes that will go and do some really unique classes from from Bill. And he came down to Florida a couple of times. We've met each other uh, a handful of times. And Bill is a standout, stand-up guy. And if yeah. you get the opportunity to take one of his classes, like they're always like, we're living off the land and we're going to go <laughs> and we're going to do a bunch of pistol, carbine, blade training. And then we're going to take these snowshoes and we're going to go up into the mountains for 12, you know, for 12 days, 14 days and figure it out. And then we're going to come back. Like it's super, super cool. Like he does, he touches every gambit of of what special forces get to do. Land nav preparation, uh, unconventional warfare, uh, usage of, of materials that are available, foraging, you know, blade training, weapons training, the whole smash. Like Bill is, Bill is a super, super cool dude. Love Bill. Um, yeah, so Bill Bill was a volunteer in my uh, youth group when I was a kid, and so like I met him like I was in middle school and he was active duty at the time, and yeah. so I thought you know I thought he was I like worshipped him and like I used to try to wrestle him and he would just destroy me and you know he obviously. is he is a physicist to this day he's a physical monster oh dude I would yeah for sure man I would never mess with that dude. Um, so anyway, he's a great guy. He's been on the podcast before, and uh, I figured you probably know him. So. Yeah, he's he's really cool dude. Yeah, man. Um, so okay. Um, one thing I want to ask you about, just to, I like having these kind of discussions with my guests, like stuff that people probably haven't asked you before in a podcast. On your Instagram profile, on your bio, one of the things is like stand for something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What do you stand for? Uh, such a, <laughs> such a, such a, such a weird community and nation that, that, that we happen to find ourselves caught in the middle of, right? Where differences used to make us strong. Now they mean that we, that for some reason we got to not like each other because you're different mm. than I am. Um, standing for something simply means like, Hey, 
I have a certain moral standard. I have a certain faith that I live my life by. I have certain codes that I've taken from the military or whatever and applied them to, to my bones in a lifestyle that, that I want to live and that I want to have my kids learn from uh, and those around me learn from. And what I mean by stand for something is simply like, man, it doesn't matter what it is. Pick something in your life that is meaningful to you and can be meaningful to others. And then back that up, stand for it and, and be, be that person, right? I used to tell guys like in the army that I was training or, or different places, like, man, be the soldier that your mom thinks you are, right? Because <laughs> if you're doing that, you're doing pretty good, right? Because yeah. she's going to tell everybody that you're the best thing that's ever put a uniform on. So try and be that guy. Um, and that's, that's what I mean by stand for something, take something that is personal to you, take something that is, whether it be a standard, whether it be, you know, physical, mental, spiritual weapons training, whatever, take something and, and put some effort into it and stand behind whatever it is you choose to, 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 to make that discipline. And for me, it's, it's, you know, Hey, I stand behind being a, being a patriot, right. Being a God loving gun toting Bible reading patriot. And the morals and the ethics and the things that, that come along with that. I, I choose to stand for those in my personal life and be an example to others by standing for those. And that's not everybody's cup of tea. And that, you know, some mm -hmm. people find that to be super offensive and some people don't find it to be super offensive. And it's it, you, you cover all aspects of, of humanity now, but it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. Our differences are what used to make us strong. Right. All-American 82nd Airborne got its name because it had troops from all 50 states mm. with a bazillion different backgrounds, different religions, different faiths, different preferences, the whole smash. But those differences put into one cohesive unit made them awesome in World War II. It's the same, it's the same country. It's the same people. It's the same diversity. We just yeah. have gotten away from realizing that, hey, those differences don't mean we have to hate each other. That means we can work better together, actually. So that's sure. that's. Yeah, I mean, um, that's that's so well put. And, like, you know, there's the old saying, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything, you know. Yes. And um, yeah. it is a balancing act, too, though, because, like like you said, like, now it's like if you you want to draw a hard line and say, hey, these are my values, this is who I am, this is what I believe, I'm not mm -hmm. backing down on it. And then immediately people, you know, think you're – you're being like aggressive or like yeah. against yeah. them. It's like, no, I'm not, I don't hate you. I yeah. don't agree with maybe your lifestyle, but yeah, not agreeing is a huge difference from hating. Yeah. Right? Like I don't have to agree with what you think and you don't have to agree with what I think. That doesn't mean we don't have to like each other. Right. I mean, like this happens every day in the workplace, whether people realize it or not, like you got to go to work with people you don't like, but yeah. guess what grownups do get the job done anyway. Yeah, right? and then they go out and have beers afterwards and say, "Man, I sure can't stand Bob. That guy's a jerk, right?" But, <laughs> but, but at work, they you know you put your differences aside and you get the job done that needs to get done, right? Yeah, and sure. in life, there's nothing wrong with a society that doesn't agree on certain topics. And one person has one view, and one person has another view. Hatred never has to enter into that, but for some reason, it has infiltrated everyone at a very personal level, and they get super emotional and they get super spun up about some stuff that if they would just take a half a second and take a breath and utilize a little bit more of their senses and think with more than, you know, think with their brain for a change, mm -hmm. um, they'd realize that it's, it's okay to stand for something and to have your own set of morals and to have your own code of conduct that you want to live your life by and for somebody else to have a different one. That's okay. For sure. 
so I've found in my, you know, my faith walk that, um, it's important to just like with physical fitness, uh, you can't just go to the gym once a week and expect to make any progress or get anywhere. Um, if you want to grow spiritually or walk with God, like it's a daily thing. So, um, and you know, we're not perfect, you know, obviously there's some days you don't hit it or whatever. And, um, but how do you, cause you've mentioned it a couple of times, how do you integrate your faith and walking that out on a daily basis? Um, really, I just try to be, uh, I, like we talked about, right? Like I stand for, for, for those morals and that belief system that comes along with being, with being a Mormon. Right. Um, and so I don't tout those in front of people like, Oh, I don't do this or I don't do that. Like I don't, I don't, I don't try to make a big deal out of any of that stuff. I just, mm-hmm. I just live my life by those rules and stand on it. Right. Like if I had a nickel for every time, um, somebody, uh, would, would say, Oh, we're going to get Maddie to drink today. Right. I could have retired a long time ago. <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, is all I have to do and, and everybody will test it. Every team I was ever on, every new guy that ever came to a team, um, would, would always test the waters to see if I was super if I, if I would actually stand my ground after that initial test, I never had to do it again mm-hmm. ever. Right. Like the guys around me would not allow it to happen. Somebody else would come and be like, Oh, we're going to get Maddie to drink. And they're like, no, Maddie doesn't drink. And then they would ask me, and be like, we told you we don't drink. Right. Like I would have guys coming to my defense for, for my, my moral standpoint. And I never had to, I never had to confront guys about it because I, I stood my ground the one time, which yeah, helps. The sure. other one is, the other one is I, 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 I kind of fall back on a lot of military experience, right? You got to do a lot of land nav as a green beret. You're always wandering around the woods, half lost somewhere. Um, and there's only one person that, that, that came down here and walked a straight line azimuth through life, right? Like never sinned, never made a mistake. Like here it is. I'm going to walk this 28 degree azimuth nose to tail beginning to end. And that's what he did. Set his face like Flint. Right, like and when humans like us here, our travel is more like terrain association, right? So if, if you're if, if you're familiar with land nav, there's there's two ways to do it. You can um, dead reckon, which is you shoot an azimuth on your compass and you walk that azimuth, right? Cliff in your way, you're gonna you're never gonna deviate from that azimuth. But it's if the longer the distance, the more impractical and impossible it becomes to walk from point A to point B and never deviate from that azimuth. It's, right. it's impossible, right? Because if you're off like half a degree. Over you, a fifty-mile yeah, radius, yeah. you're gone. Yeah, you're, you're in, yeah, you're in Arkansas instead of Kansas, right? Like, it's, it's you're not even close. Or you never see dry land; you just keep going on the ocean. Yeah, straight up. So it's it's terrain association. However, is much easier, right? So hey, I have a river on my left, and I have this ridge line on my right, and and they both run pretty pretty parallel and in the same direction as the point that I'm trying to get to. So I don't have to walk this dead azimuth of eighteen degrees or whatever. I can say, hey. I'm going to point that way to start. And if I start drifting to the left, I'm going to run into the river. And if I start drifting to the right, I'm going to run into the creek. So I make kind of an S pattern all the way up there, which is like distance wise. Yes, it's a little bit longer. Speed wise, it's way faster. Hmm. Even though I'm traveling a greater distance by veering off a couple of degrees here and there and maybe bumping, they call them handrails, right? Maybe bumping into my handrails as I go, but I can travel at such a greater speed. Um, that I can get to my to my endpoint faster than if I just hyper focused on an azimuth compass and kept walking into thorn bushes, right? Yeah. Hmm. So nobody's perfect, like you said. But if I can continue 
forward movement in the azimuth that I that I that that I that I know is correct with handrails on my left and my right, right? Like I know this is a moral boundary that I'm going to uphold in my life, and I know this is a moral boundary that I'm going to uphold in my life, and I'm not. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deviate. I'm not gonna pass those boundaries because then I will truly be lost, right? But I'm gonna within those boundaries. I am able to make mistakes, to correct my mistakes, to wander off that direct azimuth just a little bit, yeah. but still end up where mm-hmm. I want to be in the end. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about, you know, you fall off the horse, just get back on quick, mm-hmm. you know, repent, and just don't dwell on it, just keep going, you know? Yeah, and like, like I think I think Christianity, or, or like, like as a whole, has kind of gotten a, a, a dim viewpoint on repentance, right? Like, oh, we did something terrible, and they have this big guilt trip, and like... No man, it's like it's a daily thing. It's it's okay. Like yeah. it's part of the plan. God didn't put people down here and be like, "Whoa, man, didn't see that one coming." Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Look at King David. He was a man after God's own heart, and he basically yeah. murdered someone, committed adultery. Um, you know. Yeah. But like, he was top, able to get back the on the horse two, quick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of, of the rules, he broke the top two. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, um, yeah, it's all about it's all about. Like realizing that you're close to your handrails, or even if you've crossed some of those handrails, getting back to to where you need to be, and then just continuing that forward movement, and and that's you know that's how I apply it in my daily life, and it, it's it's worked out so far. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Um, one more like spiritual question that just popped up, and then we'll, we can kind of move on. But um, I feel like so I have like several Mormon friends or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Uh, I know that's how you're supposed to say it, but it's just easier to say Mormon. It's way fa- yeah, when it came out, I was like, man, that's a lot for people. Like, Mormon is pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I feel like as a as a church, as a religion, however you want to say it, you guys have done a really good job of, I don't know, um, keeping people between those moral boundaries. Like, I feel like a lot, like a lot of my friends who are Mormon are like. Um, really good people and like <laughs> stay in those boundaries better than like a lot of the, you know, quote unquote, like mainstream Christian or whatever Christian people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what do you think it is about Mormons that like you guys have figured that out or like you're able to keep your kids in line better or something? <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, I think some of it is, is, um, like, so, so like, People that know Mormons, you know, like, hey, they don't drink, they don't do this, they don't do that. There's there's a lot of stuff that, that may be viewed as, as a little bit restrictive in the beginning. Um, but, like, an analogy that I like to draw to is, like, you can't fly a kite without a string, mm. right? If you want that kite to sail super high and catch the best wind, then you got to have some string attached to it. As soon as you cut that string, it will fly for a while, but it's eventually going to, like, gravity's going to win. It's going to come crashing back down, right? That string is counterpoint for the gravity that allows that kite to sail high and stay high Mm -hmm. and those rules or commandments or whatever you want to call them are um not viewed as restrictive by by members of the church right they're they're viewed as that string like hey if i if i if i follow these rules it's going to keep me out of some pretty big trouble and that's not saying that like there's mormons that are jerks and i've met guys like a church in the little community here that i'm like man that guy's a train wreck or, or whatever, right? Like, right, of course. But um, viewing those viewing those as not restrictions, but as hey, here's some guidelines that are going to 
like some pretty good yeah, handrails hand rails. Or, that, or a really solid kite string to, to keep, you know, crossing back and forth from an hour. Yeah. Um, because that's true. I mean, you know, it goes back to like, you know, the, the, the laws of God. I mean, yes, in the moment when you want to sin, it might seem restrictive, but like in the long term of your life, because yeah. I've been, I've been on the wrong road before for a long time. And, um, I can tell you in the moment, some of that stuff was fun and felt good in the long view of my life. It was te- heading me down the wrong path towards death and destruction. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it comes down to the, the, the easy ride over the hard wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Choose so, the narrow right. path. What, did I say that wrong? Easy, easy wrong over the hard, right? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got you. <laughs> Listeners will figure it out. Um, but like making the hard decision for the long run versus immediate gratification and the easy, the easy win right now versus, Hey, you know, this is the long game and this is what I want to be as this is what's going to make me a better person in the long run versus the short term, which, you know, short term after short term, after short term, after short term, you've never made any progress. You've never gone anywhere. And like, all we have is is time. Right. And and the more we waste trying to figure out that short term game versus the long term game, you know, that's how it goes. And a good uh, analogy tie in with land nav and with ballistics is like this idea of trajectory. Um, It's like, you know, doing the small right things every single day um, because, you know, you make tiny little mistake every day in the course of that day. It's like, ah, no big deal. But if you, if you extend that out, you know, 900 yards or whatever, nine years, yeah, you're gonna be getting farther, farther. It's more minutes of angle, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. that that degree never comes back. It only grows if yeah. it's not corrected, right? Yeah, I deal, I do, I deal with this quite a bit doing like ballistics classes and stuff. Guys will put in, you know, like half-assed information into their ballistic computer and then expect great accuracy at long distance. Right. I'm like, guys, that's not that's not yeah. how it works, right? It might seem you good at 100 do. yards, but you take it down to a thousand, you're yeah, off paper. Right? Like, oh, but I'm good at I'm good at one, I'm good at two, I'm good at three. You may be good at six. Right, you got hey, you got a super fast, real clean flying bullet coming out of that gun. That's awesome. But you go out to a grand, you go out to eleven hundred, you go out to twelve hundred. Now those those little tiny mistakes are magnified by mm-hmm. a long distance, and it's 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 immediately apparent. So yeah, paying attention to the small things and applying those small details when you're setting up your gun and when you're you know you're putting in all your ballistic information to whatever app or computer you happen to be using, um, and making sure that that data is correct taking the time to do it and taking the effort to do it will bleed out into accuracy in the end. If yeah. you, if you short stroke it and just kind of put in, Hey, this is the muzzle velocity off the box. And I'm pretty sure my height overboard looks like, let's say it's two and a half inches by eye. And let's say, I don't know what my twist rate is. So we'll make one up. And I, like yeah. that turns into, you know, yeah, you're still accurate at one, two, 300 yards. Once you get past that, it's, it becomes immediately apparent that it's not mm-hmm. the same. So I think that's, and, and talking about like, hey, you know, why do why do Mormons seem to have their, their ducks in a row or whatever? Maybe that has something to do with it is, is some of those smaller details are taken into in effect maybe a little more seriously um, so that as that range gets longer, there's a little less deviation yeah. uh, from, from, you know, true data or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's so cool how God, almost every like spiritual principle has like a, a physical like expression like in the real world you know or not the real yeah. world, but the physical world 
Um, but anyway, that's a really good segue into, um, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, accuracy and, and precision and stuff like that as far as shooting goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know you do a lot of training um, with Hat Creek, correct? Yeah. And, um, you know, so just to be honest, like me, you know, my MER, I'm keeping it 500 and below, you know, I'm yeah. a hunter. I'm not a long range guy. I don't like, if I can get into 200 yards or, you know, less even that's yeah. good. That's my goal. Um, I don't even want to take a 500 yard chart unless I have to. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, so, so just kind of setting the context, I think, you know, obviously some of my listeners are more long range guys probably, but like, um, you know, coming from where you maybe a little bit more reside in the long range accuracy PRS world, kind of translating that more into a hunting context. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of the the biggest things that you see hunters, uh, that they could do better, Mm -hmm. um, or like mistakes, like biggest mistakes or like, you know, quick, um, you know, best bang for your buck, like, uh, ways to improve accuracy in small ways. Yeah. Okay. So, like, the military name of the game used to be all about the stock, right? Until, like, the last couple of years of Afghanistan, if you took up and added up every sniper engagement from World War II to, like, you know, 2013, 20, 2012 in Afghanistan, the average sniper engagement was less. It was, like, 240 yards. Hmm. Right? That was it, right? So, the name of the game back in the day was the stock. Hmm. That's what it was about. Now, the name of the game is how far away can we get and still log rounds accurate. Right. We're not worried about ethics. We're not worried about some of the other stuff. Um, we're just we're, we're putting rounds on bad guys. And I want to be as far away as possible and do that. That's the name of the game right now. Right. Um, so crossing that over into into the hunting side, in order to get these guys to be able to shoot this ridiculous amount of distance that they're, that they're shooting today, there's a lot of things that have changed. Right. Like kit, gear. Uh, glass, reticles, ballistic, ballistic calculators. Like a lot of this stuff has changed the game. Back in the day, even 10, 15 years ago, you go to the range, you would open up your logbook, you'd be like, all right, um, there's it's this temperature today, there's three clouds in the sky, I had indigestion on my way to the range, and I lost the sock in the wood line because I ate tacos last night. Uh, you, you know, like, so you're flipping through this huge logbook of every shot you've ever taken at the range looking for similar conditions so that you can replicate that same shot hmm. distance with those conditions. Now we have stuff to fix it up real time, right? Here's the, here's the temperature, atmosphere, uh, you know, biometric pressure. Here's the humidity in the air. Here's all the stuff. And it's taking that into effect real time and plugging it in to the math that, it, that your ballistic calculator is spitting out to you to hit this target at distance, right? So whether it's a Kestrel or like the, the Fury 5000s by Vortex or the SIG 10X, they're taking real time data. If you run it off your phone, it's coming off of the nearest weather station that it can pick up. So it's pretty close to where you're at, right? Yeah. Um, so that's 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 changed the game a lot. It's not black magic like it used to be. It's very much, um, you know, mappable, radar mapped out. Right. Math. This is what it is. This is what's going to happen when you squeeze the trigger mathematically, right? So that's kind of the changes that have made guys be able to get a little more high speed, a little faster and shoot longer distances on, on the, the military side of Crossing over to the hunting side of stuff, ethics now becomes a real big conversation, which I have with guys all the time. Um, but there are certain pieces of gear and kit that if you understand how to utilize them, will make your your ethical, clean, accurate shot 
you can almost double your distance um, depending on, I mean, the average guy I talk to is 250, 300 yards, right? You can almost double that if you just utilize a little bit of kit. And there's been some pushback on the hunting world side of things coming into it. The NRL series recently has kind of brought a lot of that to light uh, where, you know, you have weight restrictions on the gun, uh, caliber, kit, et cetera, et cetera. Some of these PRS guys are coming with, hey, I got my lightweight hunting rifle, but I'm going to take all my PRS kit out there. And they're skull dragging these dudes that are like, well, I've never hunted with a shooting bag. And I've never decided, like, I would never take a tripod out on a hunt. Why not? Yeah. Like, this dude's, it weighs three pounds. It's not that much. And this dude's over here smashing targets at distance because he can create a better, more stable shooting position and utilize this tripod in a million different ways, not just how people are picturing it right now, right? Like three legs all the way extended, shooting off the top of it. You can use yeah. it as so much more, right? If you have a fallen log in front of you and your bipod is set up on there, you can use that tripod now as a two foot tall rear bag and use it as rear support. You can use it as like its own traveling shooting bench. Keep two yeah. legs short, extend one leg super long, and now you have a, you know a shooting bench that you're traveling around within the woods and can create yeah. very stable shots from with just the utilization of a little bit of kit. Yeah. Well, that, let me just jump in really quick because I filming my hunts, I always have a tripod, and I mm -hmm. think a lot of guys listening to this, you know, with with glass and stuff, are also going to be carrying tripods. Like, yes. Just real quick, without going like super in the weeds, you know, what do you think is the best way to utilize a tripod? Is it for that rear rest, or like, is it that standard, like you're saying, shoot off it thing? It, it will always be depending on the situation that you find yourself. Yeah. Right. If it's really tall grass and you need that height, you got to get up there. If you're shooting in some of the crazy canyon angles that we have, having that ability to shorten two legs way up and extend one leg, one leg way out. Now it gives you like a big grappling hook shooting bench. You're just hanging onto it on the side of this, this embankment yeah. and, but still able to make very accurate, clean shots. Um, so it, some of it will depend on the situation you find yourself sure. in. A lot of times I'll tell guys, cause uh, like the standard argument is I'll never take that out there because I like I'm not going to carry the extra weight. Cool. Are you taking a tent? Throw that out. Put your <laughs> tripod up and put a tarp over. There's your tent. There you go. Right? Like, I mean, save weight somewhere else. If your primary goal is to go out and shoot an animal ethically, get that good shot, get that clean shot, bring it home, put meat in the freezer to provide for your family. Yeah. If that's the goal, why would you limit yourself on how accurate you could be? Mm -hmm. Right? That's So, so that's, that's the pushback that I get a lot of times. Oh, I'm never going to carry that. Why not? Right? Yeah. Like, if, if you, get, I, you can get yeah, like a yeah. nice little two pound tripod now, like a carbon yeah, fiber for like 200 super, bucks. Yeah, they're super lightweight. There's a ton of companies that are making them. They're not hard to come by. They're very lightweight. Oh, they're too slow to set up. Okay. If it's your first time ever using one, I'll agree with that. But why, like, if, you're, if it's the first time you're using one, like, that ain't going to work. Right. Yeah. So ethical distance now comes into this, the, the, the same the same thing as, as being a sniper, you know, 20 years ago. It's about the stock. How how close do you need to be to that target to mitigate your own shooting performance as well as the environments? Right. Wind, rain, et cetera, et cetera. How do I how, how close do I need to be to eliminate that stuff? Um, but if I have a tripod and that's immediately allows me if my if, if i'm only comfortable shooting 250 yards because i'm doing it standing offhand and i have three minutes of wobble on the target and i'm trying to time that shot and break it clean and that's as, that's as far away as i think i can get if i had a tripod to that scenario even in the standard typical standing on a tripod all legs extended 
I can go to 500 and still have less wobble than I do at 250 free. Yeah. Right. So it's a piece of kit that is huge for helping guys out. Another one that I see in the hunting world is, is I shoot with some big scopes, right? Like stuff you can see into tomorrow with, right? So I'm shooting like the, the seven to 35 ATAC R's by night horse. I'm shooting the six to 36 gen threes or the, or the four and a half to 27 gen twos for vortex, like stuff that has magnification for days. Yeah. But I rarely shoot, even at great distances, like shooting train mill guys, shooting steel at 1200 meters. I still rarely shoot over 15 power. Hmm. And so a lot of guys, uh, in the hunting world, hey, they're chasing that weight, and rightfully so. And so, they, hey, the max I'm ever going to – I'm never going to shoot over 15 power, so I just want a 15-power scope. But if you think about, like, what, the last time you looked through, a, like, like, one of the scopes I was talking about earlier, right, a Gen 2 or a Gen 3 or an ATAC R, and you were magged all the way up to 30. Right, you lose performance power, all the way at the top yeah, end. Or 35, right? You're, you're looking through a very small toilet paper tube. Eye relief is very hard to get, et cetera. Mm-hmm. it's the same if you only buy a scope that goes to 15 power because you're never going to shoot over 15 power but then you're always at 15 power to shoot you still have the same problem with it's you're looking through a soda straw yeah. where if i get a scope that goes to 20 power but only go to 15 power i have i have such a better field of view right yeah. i can see more i have like eye relief is not as big an issue i can bring that gun up quickly and accurately and get a good picture of what's going on at 8 10 12 15 power and have the ability to go to 24 when i want to zero but i'm rarely if ever going to shoot that magnified in the real world yeah right that's that's another one that that, that i find limits guys a lot oh, i'm never going to shoot over 15 power so i want a 15 power scope well now your red line that's all she's got yeah if you go more than that you're not at that red line. You have a better field of view. You have better depth perception. You have you, you know, you're not just sucked into the soda straw, and you mm-hmm. get that immediate adrenaline dump, and then that soda straw becomes even smaller. Right? Yeah. You're able to to open up that view, use that adrenaline to your advantage when it happens, and and really make a better accurate shot because you sure. have more to give. You just don't need it. Yeah, I'm with you. I got a four to I got a loophole VX six four to twenty four in that thing. Nice. I like having lots of mag. Application. Yep. And like I said, it's it's a heavier scope. It's like probably almost two pounds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is not – I mean, the, the Havoc Element's already a, a very lightweight rifle. Yep. Um, the purpose behind this build was not to go as light as possible. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I, I love that scope, though. And, dude, I don't know it if is. you ever shoot loopholes, but they have this custom dial that you can, like, order from them. It's yeah. it's pretty sick. Yeah, they got some really neat stuff, some really innovative stuff that's out there right now. So yeah. I get to shoot uh, a lot of Leopold when I'm doing military training. They have a lot of military contracts in soft. So does, uh, so does Night Force. So most of the stuff that I'm shooting is either Leopold or, or Night Force when I'm training those guys. And then I get a mix of, you know, everything under the sun when we get into the civilian world with hunting stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a time and a place, right? Um, you always got to ask yourself, like what, what people tend to forget, I think, is that they don't ever ask themselves what they're getting, what they're giving up, mm-hmm. right? If I'm chasing weight and I want the lightest, most absolutely ridiculous light gun possible, what am I giving up, right? They don't ask that question. You're giving up recoil yeah. management, right? That gun's going to be a monster to shoot and you're not going to see what happened after that first shot. So you better have a spotter or someone else, you know, so, somebody else is going to see what happened because you're not going to follow the heavier gun yeah man like my recoil is going nowhere right i got a 16 pound gas gun that i'm going to shoot and i'm going to watch that round come out and i'm going to watch exactly where it hit and it's it's easy however 
Like I better be hitting the gym because the con is I got to carry around all this heavy weight. <laughs> yeah. Right. So time and a place for both. I always come back to like, what is the intended purpose for that rifle? And what is your end goal with that rifle? Mm-hmm. If your end goal is just to go out and bang steel on grandpa's back 40, heavier is better. Yeah, of course. If your goal is to go out and put meat in the freezer, then we need to start really carefully looking at pros and cons to weight, glass selection, kit you're using, et cetera, et cetera, so mm-hmm. that you can go out and be successful without carrying any extra ounces that you don't need, but that allow you to be super accurate. I'll tell guys, man, we can if you're worried about carrying a tripod for weight, we can save weight somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. Right? We'll do something different in your packing. We'll do like we'll we'll, we'll we'll take one pair of socks and one t-shirt. We'll do we'll do something different to yeah. save that two pounds that a tripod weighs to allow you to be so much more stable and in the end so much more ethical in your own distance and ability. Yeah. So that's good, man. Um you were, we're coming up on an almost an hour here. I know you got stuff to do, so I'm not gonna hold you too much longer here, but no worries, man. I'm all yours. Okay, cool. Um so just turning a little bit onto Seekins, um you know, you guys have I mean you guys are kind of blowing up like like I saw your thing the other day, like you're stopping internet sales, you know, we're not, obviously everybody had issues with COVID and stuff like that as far as supply chain goes. Um, but you know, I ordered, um, my rifle, you guys did a really great job of making sure I got my rifle in time to get it dialed for the season. So I'm appreciative of that. And, mm-hmm. um, but still it, it, you know, it took some time to get it. it. Yeah. Um, which is not abnormal these days. Um, are you guys, you know, are you looking to expand your production capabilities or, you know, are you trying to stay small? Uh, what's, what's, what's the future kind of look like for Seekins? So we have a, right now we're in the middle of action. So uh, last year we did a huge uh, shop extension for all of assembly. We had all assembly smashed in this little tiny area. And it was, it was to the point that it affected our efficiency to get guns out the door. Now we have a huge warehouse where we moved all of our assembly stuff um, attached to the main warehouse that had all the machines in it so they run through the quality control program the quality control program is the first one to grow here at Seekins precision because we built our name on precision right it's yeah mr glenn Seekins' favorite line right it's not Seekins pretty close or not Seekins <laughs> good enough right it's precision so if we're going to double our throughput of products that we're putting out then we got to have the ability to maintain the quality control sure. that we've started with so that we don't we don't muddy those waters at all right yeah. Um, so we got that up. The quality control is, is, is always on point. And then we're adding another 10,000 square feet of shop space out here that will be done in um, October. So we've already had machines ordered for that one. We got 15 machines coming in. We got like 12 nice. CFTs and three lays. All of them will be robot fed. Um, so we'll be making parts for us around the clock. We're super excited about it. So we're going to, we'll be more than quadrupling our throughput from a couple years ago to next year. Um, with what we got coming out. So we're super, super excited to be growing. We've made a lot of noise in the industry in not a very long period of time. It's been very fun yeah. for me to be on this train. Like the first show that I did, um, you know, I'd be explaining to seven out of 10 people coming into the booth, like, hey, we're Seekins Precision. This is what we do. This is where we're from. This is what we make. And now it's the opposite, right? Just in the short amount of time, three, four years now, it's I'm only explaining to three people what Seekins Precision is. Yeah. Other people are coming there knowing I've already heard the name. I've already done my homework. I've researched the guns. Like, I want to get my hands on them. Let's yeah. you know, let's, let's come and feel it. Yeah, I, 
I hadn't really heard you guys until last year. Um, mm-hmm. I'm relatively new to the rifle thing because the place I grew up hunting, it was shotgun and bow only. Yeah. So I'm like a late comer to the rifle world, but really enjoying it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got a good recommendation, like I said, from my buddy Brad. And then, you know, sorry. Brad, yeah, awesome. yeah, man. Um, and, um, you know, did some internet research, you know, obviously got my hands on one, talked to you. And then like my, my other really good friend who's kind of helped me get into Western hunting. Um, you know, I, he's big on all the forums and stuff and he's ex Navy special warfare. So he's yeah. kind of a gun nerd. And I was like, dude, have you heard of Seekins? And almost every single gun company I ever like run by him. He's like, Oh yeah, there's a couple lemons in there, man. I'd, I'd watch out for those, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like I said, Seekins, he was like, yeah, I think I've heard pretty good stuff about them. That that's green. <laughs> so, uh, so awesome. once I did that, I was like, okay. And then getting my hands on one, I was like, yeah. And then, um, and then, you know, I did a video the other day about mounting my scope on there mm-hmm. and I put my alignment tool on my Seekins rings and it was like spot on right out of the box. And I was like, okay, yeah, there's the precision. It's a, it's a <laughs> but, big deal. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, mounted optics with good rings on good rifles before, but still they're usually like a little off. Mm-hmm. That thing was like money. Um, but my, my question that's buried in there, it's kind of a selfish question, but I maybe stupidly, not sure, but I did lap my rings a little bit, even mm-hmm. though the alignment was fine. Did mm-hmm. I make a mistake there? Uh, generally speaking, so we hold our ring tolerances to like less than half an eyelash width. I mean, we're, they're very, very strict tolerances for our rings. Um, it's not recommended by us that you hand lap them because that tolerance is so tight. Um, but if you did, it's okay. You're not, you're not hurting them by any means. Um, okay. so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, okay. but yeah, generally speaking right out of the box, they're good to hook, particularly if you're putting like more high end glass on there where, you know, concentricity of scope tube is a big deal. A lot of times what we'll see is guys will be like, Hey, your rings don't line up very good. It's like, yeah, well, like what scope are you buying? Oh, it's the, the Walmart blue light special, like concentricity. That tube is like an A, right? I can't imagine dropping the money on a Seekins and putting like a Walmart Tasco or something on there. It's, I mean, <laughs> you get everything. People, yeah. Where people decide to save money sometimes makes me giggle, but uh, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I hate to you're say gonna, this, but you'd be your... better off with good glass and a crappy rifle. Yeah, right. Like if you're gonna limit yourself, don't limit yourself on glass. Don't limit <laughs> what you can see. Yeah. So, um, um, but anyway, no, it's okay if you did. But the tolerances are. Yeah, I was right out. Every set of scope rings comes serial numbered, so there's only two. If you if you take next time you take them off, look at the bottom. The serial numbers line up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only two of those that are made. They're specifically matched up. The quality control tolerances that we run through them. So we do like nine thousand sets of rings a month. And wow. One in every uh, less than 30 rings goes through the quality control department. So if there okay. ever is an issue, it is caught within 30 rings. Okay. So, so I didn't need to lap them, but I didn't screw them up. Nope. You didn't need to lap them. But if you were super aggressive about it, then I'd be like, well, let me get you another set in the mail. We'll get you taken care of. But <laughs> if it was just, yeah, it was just a little bit, you're fine. No big deal. Okay. Um, I'll keep an eye on it. Maybe after season, I'll pick up another pair or something. No worries. Or I can use that warranty and just send them to you. Right? Yeah. That's, that's what it's for, <laughs> right? Like, you would not be the first to be like, hey, I took a dremel to this. And so what yeah. happened was, like, no worries. We got you. Cool, man. Um, another selfish question. Any idea when you'll be shipping magazines again. So they are in the process of working overtime in the carbon fiber shop like crazy right now. 
Um, so we we're really, really close to getting caught up to not just the number of guns leaving the right. shop, but actually having them in stock and ready to go. So we're working on those right now. They're also working on laying up um, some AI carbon fiber uh, style magazines. So there's there's some there's some big stuff coming out of our in-house carbon fiber shop. They're just they're burning the midnight oil to be sure they can get caught mm-hmm. up. So as soon as they're caught up, it should be in the next just the next couple of weeks. Even they should be ready to go and back up on the website. Nice man. Um, just because I ordered an extra one just to have because you never know what happens, man. You don't want to lose that thing in the field. Oh, and then... Yeah, everybody needs two, right? Like a yeah, two is one, one is none. Um. So another question too, like the spiral fluting on the barrel. Yeah. Is that is that an aesthetic choice or does that have performance uh, implications? Yeah, so it does a couple of things for us. One is that spiral fruiting is instantly recognizable, right? It's super easy to be like, hey, yep, that's a Seagan's rival. I can see that spiral fluting. The reason that it's a spiral flute is because I can remove more material because the cut is longer being a spiral, right? If it was just a straight flute, I don't get to remove as much material. So we actually save on like on the PH2s, uh, we save like a pound and a quarter in weight by wow. those spiral cuts. It's that's a lot. significant. Right? Uh, on the on the elements like you have, it allows us to maintain a very pencil thin profile barrel, but those ridges of the flutes give us a ton of rigidity. But one of the most common gotcha. questions is how many rounds is it going to take me to zero this rifle? Because they they've shot pencil thin barrels before, and they get you know three five rounds into it, and that that shot groups opens up because it's too hot. It can't maintain the same tolerances it has when it's cold, so they have to wait, let the gun cool down for an hour, come back, try again. Um, but with that fluting on there, that maintains an extreme amount of rigidity. So on, even on your you know large caliber element, you can lay down, and put 20, 25 rounds in a row through it before mm-hmm. the mirage coming off the barrel is the issue, not the gun opening up. So oh, that's good to know. Yeah, so that's because I try to let it cool down pretty well, but sometimes you know you can't. You don't have sometimes, all the time. Yeah, to... sometimes you can't, right? So, like, yeah. particularly, like, here at work, if I'm shooting a bunch of stuff for, for R&D or I got, hey, we got these four guns that the customers would, like, shot, like, I want to be ripping through rounds super fast, Yeah. Um, you know, making sure that everything is in line, they're shooting, their accuracy is performing the way I want it to perform before I get them out the door. Um, and, like, you know, 10, 15 rounds out of an element is not unheard of in a row super fast, like, yeah. burn down. So, um the reason for those ribs is to help maintain that rigidity. They also uh, pretty close to double the surface area of the barrel, which allows that heat to dissipate just cool faster. faster. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, those are the biggest reasons. Aesthetics for sure, but rigidity of the barrel and the cooling properties. Cool. Um, is barrel break-in a real thing? You know, that's a, that is, that is a, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I get it every day. People ask me like, Hey, what's the barrel break-in procedure for Seekins? And I tell them the same thing every time. Shoot it like you stole it. Right, get it out of the box, run a patch down it, be sure you don't got any packing gunk in there or whatever, and then shoot it like you stole. Right, we use super, super hard steel. Um, but so, certain people have certain things that they're always going to do. Right, if you have a yeah. religious break in process that is tried and true for you, like I'm not going to get in there and mentally screw with your head, do it. If you shoot one, clean it, shoot one, clean it, shoot one, clean it, and then shoot five and clean it or whatever, um, that's fine. If that's if that's what gives you the mental edge that you need, run it, do that. But as far as all of the guns that I've shot and all the stuff that I do with them, half the time I'm on my way out to do an event for, for another company or a range day, and I'm getting a gun put together that morning right before I leave. It gets test fired, I actually tested in the tube, and I take it out and burn it to the ground. No break-in <laughs> process. Yeah. Nothing. Just shoot the brakes off of it. And after I come back, it's had several hundred rounds put through it, and it 
super hard pace. I'll lay down in the tube, shoot it for accuracy so that we're getting good data on, hey, we just treated this barrel like trash. Yeah. Let's see what it actually did. Still shoots very, very tight, very, very accurate groups. So uh, I've, I've done the super serious religious cleaning in the past, um, and I've done none of it. And the results have been, from, from what I've seen, the test sample that I have, which is not small. Um, you know, it's not like I only shot this one gun and then tried this with this right. one barrel. Like I got a pretty extensive test sample between prior service rifles, rifles that I shoot on the outside, Seekins guns, not Seekins guns, et cetera. And it seems to be the same, whether you go through a, a real big break-in process or whether you just shoot it right out of the box. seems nice. to be the same. Well, cool, man. Well, this has been really good conversation. Uh, definitely flew by. So, um, but where can people find you or find Seekins or they want to find out more information um, or get their hands on one even or something like that? Yeah, so you can always go to the website, www.seekinsprecision.com. We have all of our stuff there. All the small parts and accessories are still for sale on the website. It's just complete rifles that are uh, going uh, to like dealer direct right now. So when you click on a rifle, it'll actually open up and say, hey, where do you live? Here's five dealers that are in your area. You can pick one. You can go up there. You can get your hands on them. Um, so we're working on it. This just allows us to get our product out the door and in the end user's hands a lot faster than going onesie twosie. So, yeah. um, so we'll help you get there. If you have any questions, you can always find us on social media. It's Seekins, Seekins underscore precision or Seekins precision it's underscore. Seekins precision underscore official, right? That's it. Yeah, Seekins yeah. precision underscore official. Um, there's a couple other phony ones out there, but that's ours. Uh, you can get me at Maddie underscore underscore Nelson uh, is, is, is my one. You're always welcome to, to DM me directly if you have a question about Seekins. Like I'm I'm an open book. I'm easy to get. I'm easy to get a hold of on the socials. I'll get you an answer. I'll get you in touch with our customer service department. They'll get you an answer. Whatever you need. Yeah. Um, and that's how it works right now. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have any dealers on the East Coast or not, but I when I had the thing shipped to my FFL, they're like, Ooh. Yeah. They're like <laughs> well, give me give me the name. We'll give them a call. And say, hey, this is this is what we need yeah. to get you set up. So it's a super sure. simple process to become a dealer. A little bit of paperwork, and you're in there. That's all it is. Cool. All right, man. Well, thanks again for your time. It's been a really Thank good conversation. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you. It's like I mean, I, we get to see each other, so I, I, I yeah. love being able to, to, to see it uh, over the over the webs here. It's been great to catch up with you, man. Thank you. Yeah, you too, brother. All right, we'll talk soon. Yes, sir.